Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate, and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag podcast. My name is Nick Robinson, and through my guests, we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com. For your curiosity and stuff. Wow, it's pouring down with rain here in Portugal on a, on a spring morning. And I'm just really excited to bring to you another interview with Wave Garden because we spoke to Sean, Sean Young from Wave Garden back in, I think it was uh, November 2019 or October 2019. And so much has transpired since then, least of all COVID, obviously. Um, but the state of the company of Wave Garden is amazing. I mean, they've got 43 projects on the go and they're charging around, obviously charging around the world virtually now. But um, whereas they used to be flying all around. But let's hear all about the updates, what's going on with Wave Garden. And um, over to you, Sean Young. Well, Sean, thanks so much for joining us again on the Wave Pool Mag podcast. It's really exciting to have Wave Garden back. It's been a while, hasn't it? It has been a while. It's a pleasure to speak to you again, Nick, and uh, looking forward to uh, catching up. Yeah, last time um, we had you on the podcast, you recounted your excellent story of how you got involved with Wave, with Wave Garden. And I, I love that story. So, how have you been since um, the last time we spoke in October 2019? Well, personally, you know, not a lot has changed. You know, everything everything is fine personally. And uh, but I guess the the biggest difference for not just for me but from everyone is COVID has had a huge impact since we last spoke. And uh, I was just thinking the amount of international travel that I've done since we last spoke has just sort of you know dropped completely. I think the last trip I did was February this exactly this time last year I was in Seattle and our project in Yakima and I think looking at my diary then there was a gap of no international travel for anything from then right through until about a month ago or a month and a half ago where I was in Italy for a project we're working on so there was a massive gap when everyone was not allowed to travel and we were we were stuck and and not going and seeing our clients face to face and having to do everything uh you know over the internet and online and and thank god for zoom and all those applications because uh, we've managed managed to keep uh, business going yeah i mean it's 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 pretty frustrating on on zoom and stuff but it, it is amazing isn't it it really does save a lot of time and travel and uh and it's a much more efficient process i guess yeah, it absolutely is. For for all the day-to-day stuff, it's fantastic. But I still miss physically going onto a site and seeing it for myself, understanding the, the wider destination context, you know, and what's it like and getting a little bit of feel for the local population and, and the culture and, and tourism and activities and, and then face-to-face workshops with designers and engineers and so on. We're doing them now online and so on, but previously they, those would be face to face, and it is a little bit easier. But uh, no, thank goodness, you know, we've been able to continue with work and and actually continue to sign up uh, a number of new projects. So uh, it's it's actually been fine, and I'm just looking forward to, like we all are, to the to the end of this eventually, and and getting back out there and and seeing our clients face to face. Yeah, you and me both. Wow, I'm you know looking forward to getting out there as well. But um, tell us about Wave Garden HQ because because I went to go and visit you guys about a year and a half ago, I think, and it was fantastic. It really was like a startup culture with more and more people being hired every day. And and, and how's it going in the Basque country there? Are you guys expanding like mad, or yeah, you stabilized I mean, a bit more? No, it's. Interesting. We're probably one of the few companies that has been growing during COVID, rather than you know, you know, laying people off or putting people on some sort of a hold until you know, and so on. So we've been actually continuing to recruit and employ new people. We must be up to maybe sixty-six full-time uh, employees wow. now. I mean, I'd need to check because two new people arrived just last week. And uh, so that's been great that we've been able to continue to do that. And if I stand up and look out the window where I am now, I can see three guys building a new model, a new sort of scale model of a, of a new super secret innovation that, that we're working on. And oh. it, means that half, <laughs> it means that half of our car park has been reduced in size. So it's very difficult now to find enough space for all of us to park because uh, we're running out of space on the land we have for to continue to innovate and, and test new ideas and so on. But yeah, it's nonstop here. It's, it's, it's great fun. And uh, yeah, continuing to grow, thankfully, and and 
everybody seems to have got through COVID uh, safely, thank goodness. And uh, yeah, things are very exciting. It's always cautious. I'm always cautious when I ask you about Wave Garden HQ because obviously it's super secret spot and, and amazing. But there is that, you know, you can see from the aerial shots, there's the old original, um, you know, prototype number one. Are you guys going to transform that into something? Because I mean, obviously that's your, it must be your space, right? It is, it is our space. There is a conversation about uh, that right now, uh, interestingly, but we don't have any definitive plans or anything that we can share with you on that at the moment sure. because the new model we're building is a first scale. So we've done all the fluid dynamics work. I think there are three, four people now in the fluid dynamics department full time. They've done all the work on this new idea that we have. And now that's been built in a sort of test scale uh, model size. And then it may may or may not eventually be built full size on this piece of land or somewhere else. But uh, mm. so, yeah, um, you know, the site is still the same from when you were here. In fact, Brian came and visited us recently enough. Yeah. And he enjoyed, I think, his, his time here and have a look around. It was good. He was able to get to surf and see some of the behind the scenes. And uh, he will have seen how busy it is uh, on the ground here. Yeah, sadly, I couldn't join him. But um, just to recap for those who don't know, your first iteration of Wave Garden was rolled out to the public in Wales in 2015 and then again in Texas at Inland in 2016. So your second product entitled Wave Garden Cove was launched in Bristol, Melbourne and South Korea more recently. How well are all those existing projects going today? Sure. So yeah, when we last spoke, it was October 19 and I think we were literally a couple of weeks away from opening Bristol. And Bristol was the first cove. We searched Nodonia, was using our older technology as, as did Inland. And our first uh, cove open to the public was going to be Bristol. So that was really exciting. And Bristol opened in November, Melbourne opened in January, and Korea opened in October. So in that sense, we, you know, we've had three commercial public openings since I last spoke to you. And obviously, Elias, Switzerland is coming in in a, in a couple of months' time, and then Brazil, Facenda in the summer. So it's been a really exciting time. And uh, yeah, all I can say is that um, Bristol, Melbourne, Korea have all, you know, not met, but actually exceeded expectations in terms of both, you know, the quality of the facilities and the quality of the waves and, and the guest experience and the customer feedback and everything that that we're getting, but also in terms of their actual performance. And I went to Bristol on the third week, I think it was week three after it was opened, and I was there for a full week and meeting various people and and uh, managed to, you know, get a surf myself there. But it was really interesting. It was quite cold. It was, you know, mid, late November. It was quite cold. It was midweek. So Monday, I was there uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I think it was. And the bays in which I thought, okay, there won't be that many beginners uh, coming. I, we knew the reefs would always be busy. You know, we know that people are, who already know how to surf are used to wearing wetsuits, used to getting cold in the winter in the UK. And they were at 100%, you know, occupied, even more than 100%, because when some people didn't turn up or for some reason were late to their session, they were almost pre-selling that hour to somebody else that was there and just wanted to jump in. So the reefs were doing incredible business, didn't matter what hour of the day it was or day of the week it was. But I was fully expecting the bays not to be that busy. You didn't think there'd be a lot of beginners or improvers wanting to try surfing for the first time in the middle of winter and so on. But surprisingly, the bays were even doing very well in uh, in Bristol. And particularly at weekends, they were incredibly busy. And that and that... That continued, thankfully, um, through, throughout with uh, Bristol. They're performing incredibly well, both with, you know, in the reefs where the sort of intermediate, advanced surfers are, but also in the bays with the beginners and, uh, and improvers. And then Melbourne came along, and it was the middle of their summer. It was January. So, I mean, it just, it was crazy, to be quite honest. They were operating 16 hours a day, every day of the week and more or less at full at you know at full capacity so uh it, wow. you know it's been yeah it's been really really good and then i guess the unusual one for us was you know what how on earth will a surf park in in south korea do 
where there isn't, mm -hmm. you know, in the UK, there is an existing surf culture in, in, in Melbourne, certainly so. But what about in Korea? And um, although we opened late into the year in October, we were still delighted with how many people were coming and the feedback that we were getting. And to see the scale of that development as a whole, it, it's pretty incredible. But that, that's, our, that's our largest facility and our largest and longest wave. And uh, the feedback has just been excellent. Yeah, it looks amazing from the videos online. But do you think that um, do you think when a, when a park opens or a wave pool opens, like for example, Snowdonia did, and then I remember there was a, um, a press release about doubling the expected visitor numbers. And do you think there's, a, there's an element of uniqueness, and that's why everybody flocks to it straight away? And and how long do you think it'll be before that tails off? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think as you know, my background is in sort of doing business plans and feasibilities and uh, advising on the development and planning of all types of attractions, not just on surf parks. Uh, and that was before I joined Wave Garden. And, and in many visitor attractions, and you do have a what we call a honeymoon period, where in the first couple of years, this is the most novel, newest uh, type of experience in the market. And so people want to go and try it for the first time to see what it's like. And there is a level of anxiety with um, other types of visitor attractions that, well, if we don't reinvest and bring in a new product or a new theme park ride or a, every two or three years, we're not going to get our repeat visitation. I think the great thing about surfing and is how addictive it can be. So if we can convert even a relatively small number of the people that come to our facility in the first couple of years, because it's the newest thing for them to, to come to and start to learn to surf, if we can convert some of them into regular surfers, we're then basically we're growing our own market of future surfers in the reef. Those beginners and improvers become our intermediates, our advanced surfers, and eventually our expert surfers that will want to continue to, to surf in the facility. So I will be very interested to keep an eye on how that develops. Will we see a drop-off in years three, year four, or will we actually see a slight, even, dare I say, even a growth as the popularity of surfing as we convert some of those beginners to the next levels to it? Um, I think it's interesting when you refer to the addiction of surfing, and it's almost like I'm absolutely um, a victim of that myself. But there's a massive parallel between, you know, wave pool providers and drug dealers, aren't there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is incredibly addictive, I have to say. It, it, it really is. And it's ridiculous in that it appears to be one of these things that it, that's addictive when you're learning and you're falling all the time. It's even addictive then. And, it's, and then it continues to be addictive as you get better and better at it. So it, uh, it, is, it is quite unique. And non-surfers don't really understand it until they actually start how addictive it can become absolutely yeah and i was just thinking about um you know when you're surfing and, and you're surfing in the ocean as opposed to surfing in a wave pool mm. um and that's a, it's a beautiful generally it's a beautiful environment because most ocean environments are beautiful um but yes. you must have seen so many different settings for wave pools around the world and we're probably going to jump into this a little bit later but have you got it like the best sort of location that, that you're looking at um or anything like that Oh, wow. Um, okay, I've done, I mean, my, my job uh, within WaveGarden is obviously um, managing all of our projects in that early design and feasibility and planning phase. And so I'm the lucky one in that I get to go to all of the potential sites with the team. We bring an architect and a project manager uh, with us and, and so on. So if, if I'm thinking about what was the most stunning location that I've been to in terms of our sites. Snowdonia looks pretty beautiful. Snowdonia is beautiful. And actually, yes, that's one that I worked on for about three years or so before joining Wave Garden. Uh, it is beautiful. But I have to say, probably the project near Vancouver is just incredible. The project we're working on there, it's north of Vancouver on the way towards uh, the ski resort on the, what's called the Sea to Sky Highway. And the location of that site is simply stunning. The views from the site are amazing. Uh, so that, that one's beautiful. But actually, there are a lot of beautiful, a lot of really beautiful sites that we're working on because it's true there are some urban settings and urban sites, but there are a lot of you know really attractive you know rural greenfield almost uh, pristine uh, locations where a facility like this can get permission to be developed because it's considered as a 
as a leisure, sports and educational and, and community facility as opposed to just a pure commercial development. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite interesting because I think there are a lot of developments around there, a lot of waves that are going up in, in shopping malls. And I know personally, I wouldn't be that keen on surfing in a shopping mall as opposed to surfing in the outdoors in a beautiful environment. But um, it'll be interesting to see how successful those are because obviously you've got the, um, the location and the access of yes. a shopping mall and it's just so much easier to get to, isn't it? Yeah. And I think what you'll find is there will be certain facilities that are in these denser, uh, higher population locations where their footfall is primarily going to be driven by the day visit, by the, you know, the two hour, the two hour uh, dwell time, sort of come in, have a surf, treat it, treat it almost like a gym or treat it like something that's quite novel to do for a couple of hours and then go home. Whereas in other locations that are on the edge of cities or in somewhere like Yakima, where I was this time last year, you know, on this platform over overlooking Yakima Valley and all of the, the wineries and the, the, the hob farms and so on, and the and views off to the mountains in the distance, there, I think they're going to be more of a short break style destination where you come and maybe for a weekend, you stay in cool surf lodge accommodation next to the lagoon. Uh, you're, there are lots of other activities in and around the lagoon itself. There might be some climbing, some activity lagoons, children's playgrounds. In one, one case, there's a dog park, there's camper vans, RV areas and so on. So you make more of a, of a short trip out of it and you stay for a couple of days and you surf two or three hours a day over that over that period and you really make it like a trip so i i do think you will see different business models being developed depending upon their location and whether they're driven by residents or by tourists mm -hmm. okay and with those new models i'd see you've you 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 um playing around with some technology i would say playing around with the technology researching and developing some new technology um to do with air ramps that we've seen in the South Korean pool. Yes. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And are, will that be retrofitted into, say, Bristol and Melbourne? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, there's you know, there's no there's no big secrets here, or anything on that front. So, yeah, you know, we have we've basically uh, we're experimenting of ways of making air sections using the machine itself. So just like if you go to Waco or whatever, they can make a, an aerial uh, using the the wave making machine itself. But at the same mm -hmm. time, we're experimenting in combination of using the machine, but also the possibility of attaching an inflatable system or a small area on the foot of the of the ground of the lagoon itself, inflating it up for the period when you want to uh, hit the aerials and then deflating it down for the period where you where you don't. And I think the added value there, and we're, we're experimenting with different ways of doing it, and we'll be installing it in, in Switzerland probably. And by this summer, you'll be seeing it in, in more of our facilities as a, and maybe, it, and it's certainly something like that can be retrofitted quite easily into existing facilities. And you're going to be seeing more of that, I think, um, where you get a combination of the machine itself is helping to make a particular type of wave and a closeout, but also by putting a little reef, a little artificial reef in a certain spot to make that, um, that aerial even better. Because the feedback we were getting, um, as you, you probably saw the videos in, in Korea, we had uh, Jacob uh, Skelsky come there and spend a couple of days and he had said he'd spend a huge amount of time at waco getting that area and he says it's a fun area but it's actually quite a challenging one and not the easiest one to learn on whereas the combination of the wave garden system plus what we did in korea he found it more intuitive and found it a uh, sort of closer to the type of aerials he's experiencing in the ocean and he was able to land some really big aerials within a matter of a couple of hours at our facility. And he was really excited about it and, and had, you know, had a great time. So that is something definitely that we're, we are working on. We're going to continue to innovate and try and come up with new ways of, of, of adding to our wave menu and, and the types of ways we can deliver. Yeah, because I saw that dark shape under the water in, in South Korea. Was that the inflatable device yes, that you were referring to? Exactly. Okay. That's what we're experimenting with. And now we're obviously have we're probably on version five of that because I, I guess what's relatively unique about us is, is that we design and manufacture and create almost everything we do. Uh, very, very little of anything is off the shelf. So that's why we need a company of this scale because, you know, 
primarily we're an innovation and engineering company. So the guys are out designing this. It's not something, oh, can we go and buy one of these things somewhere? No, we have to design it ourselves. We have to manufacture it. We have to test it. And we have to do version one, two, three, four, five, and install it and test it and so on. So that's what's keeping everybody busy. Sure, sure, absolutely. Now, now the wave pool space has has got fairly competitive of late. Um, is there anything you can say about wave garden R and D that'll that'll keep you above the competition and in, in the in the front? Uh, yes, uh, a couple of things. I suppose um, since we last spoke uh, spoken, we have introduced other other sizes and shapes of our lagoons so for example you're you know you're you're well aware of the cove as such but there are what maybe people weren't aware a year ago they are now is that actually we can create you know various different shapes and sizes of lagoon that all then benefit from our unique uh, wave making technology so we have a uh, we have a lagoon that's called um, Point Break, which is basically half a cove. You can imagine it taking a cove and just saying, "Okay, I'm going to have one half of that." Uh, so that we would call that a Point Break. So if you've got a smaller footprint of land, you could fit that in. You would have half the capacity. So rather than 88 surfers, you would have half of that uh, surfers. Uh, in that type of facility, or you do something like going, what's going to happen in um, in Switzerland. Ally is opening up with a cove, but without the bays. So as you know, we have our two reefs and our bays. So waves break in the reef for you know, 13, 14 seconds uh, or so. And then those waves reform and break in the bays for our beginners and improvers in a couple of different areas in, in the bays. But in Switzerland, because of the size of that particular piece of land, what we have is two reefs. So we don't have the bays. So it's a, it's a, it's a much smaller lagoon. Uh, sort of less construction, less water, uh, similar size machines, so you can get same lengths of waves. But what you don't have is you don't have surfers in the reef and then beginners in the bay areas at the same time. Instead, you have to program a specific one hour for beginners, the next hour for intermediates, the next hour is for advanced, and so on. So there's that. And then we also have a, a, a lagoon called the Beach Break, which, to be honest, is very similar to the shape of a Waco-type shape style. So where you've got the wave-making machine at the back and one wall and then an open beach slide. It's, it's absolutely not the most efficient way to make waves, but it is an option for our partners that have a particular size and shape of piece of land, and they want to be able to fit something like that in there, and, and, we, and we can do that as well. So that's been, that's been sort of... Would that essentially be a, a peerless, uh, without a yes. peer? Uh, Correct. Form? Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And, and can you make that in, in a large size as well? So Because then you can get that flexibility of having one wave rolling all the way across the, the lagoon. Exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, the thing is, there's, there's nothing particularly unique or different uh, in between the various companies in terms of the lagoon's shapes that they're able to do. And so what's unique is, is what type of technology that they're using and so on. So... In the, in the same way that you can have something the shape of Waco or a point break or a rectangular shape lagoon, then you know any any of the companies I imagine could say, well, we can do something of that type and shape. It really is about matching what's right for the particular piece of land and the particular site. And and I think maybe because the cove is so popular and it is an incredibly efficient way of of, of delivering and making waves, which I can explain. Um, I think people are saying, okay, well, that's the only option from WaveGarden. But now we're working on a number of projects where we're looking on much smaller footprints. I mean, you've surfed our demo facility. I mean, that's a viable experience in its own right. And that's only, what, 4,000 square meters or something. So that's that's basically one reef. Yeah, Yeah, that's one reef. Mm. So you could fit that into a very small footprint of land, very little water. And not a lot of construction associated with that. So there are projects and smaller scale projects and developers who are doing hotels or small residential and are thinking about, well, can I fit a small private or membership only uh, surf facility into our development? And, and can we do that? So we're getting quite a bit of interest in that area. And does the energy requirement go down a lot? I mean, it must do, obviously, if you've got a smaller pool. But can we just talk a little bit about energy? Because um, as far as I'm aware, um, a normal pool would probably pull about two and a half megawatts. 
Yeah, I, I think um, this is an area, I mean, you asked about, you know, what's keeping us, you know, above and, and beyond the competition. This is a, a really unique uh, feature of WaveGarden systems. And, and actually, I think that unfortunately, there are, a, appears to be a, a sense within the wider community that to build a surf park requires a lot of energy and requires a lot of water. Now, maybe that's because of the traditional way of making surf um, surf facilities, particularly if you if you use pneumatic rather than electric. Yes, there is a lot of power that's being consumed doing that. Um, but our facilities on a on a like for like basis matching, and we have done all of the research and we have all of the evidence and so on to sort of support this, our way of making waves is about 10 times more efficient than using a off-the-shelf pneumatic type system to make waves. So for example, if you had, if you have a, a large lagoon, a pneumatic lagoon that's claiming to have to do uh, 900 or 1,000 uh, waves per hour and and then you look at what that actually means. Well, okay, it's actually 300 odd waves per hour, but they're saying it's breaking in three different areas. So let's say a large, very large lagoon, 300 waves per hour offering, you know, rides of 10, 12 seconds on each wave. That That's going to take all of our research. That's going to take well over 3000 kilowatts an hour to run. And in fact, you know, some of the technology providers of pneumatic systems have, you know, put that amount and shown that within their own materials. So that, you know, that's sort of there and that's proven. And we've done our own research for exactly that same session. So in a cove based on actual data, based on Bristol, based on Melbourne, based on Korea, we can deliver those 300 full size, two meter beast barreling waves in an hour for about 300 to 350 kilowatts. So that the difference between 300 kilowatts per hour and 3000 kilowatts per hour is very significant when it comes to sustainability, costs, etc. And I think it's also worth pointing out that 300 to 350 kilowatts per hour for our biggest expert session, it'll be half that for a cruiser session using Malibu's, but Malibu waves, but 300 kilowatts per hour, that's like a third or a quarter of what a single chairlift in a ski resort uses. So we know that about a single chairlift in a ski resort uses about 1,200 kilowatts per hour. Our system using sending out our biggest waves is using about 300 to 350. So that's, you know, and when we get that message across to people, the issue of sustainability, the issue of energy consumption just drops off the table. And also it means that we're potentially eight or nine times cheaper in terms of operational cost than if we had chosen to use a pneumatic way. So th that's why the company spent 10 years in research and development and actually designed and manufactured our own bespoke technology rather than using a technology that was already potentially available but had um, had significant implications in terms of uh, energy consumption. I'm not an engineer, but I mean, what's, that's a radical difference. I mean, that's tenfold difference between a, uh, a pneumatic blower or um, and then against your, your technology. So mm -hmm. what's really the difference without getting too technical? Well, I'm <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that's an impossible to, yeah, question impossible to ask to without getting too without, technical. Yeah, it's impossible to answer <laughs> that without getting too technical. But all I can tell you is, is this and how we verified it. So, I mean, our own team here of engineers have got, have worked with the providers of pneumatic uh, blowers. We've designed our own pneumatic system and we've estimated the cost of making the different types of waves and of the same length. Uh, I mean, remember it's the length of the wave has an impact on the energy consumption, not just the size of the wave. And, and we've done that. But also, to be honest with you, we we actually have, we know the energy cost of Waco. You know, we know what they are. We were They were shared with us. And also, you know, we're in consultation with someone who has operated two different types of pneumatic systems that have delivered, that are delivering surfing waves. And they have verified, in fact, what, you know, their, their view at summer is closer to 12 times the difference in terms of energy consumption. So that's a huge thing. And the last thing on this, Nick, that's, that's important to say is that you mentioned two, two to three megawatts. 
that you're talking about peak power or the trend the size of the transformer that's required uh, to to be installed to handle the peak power of that we are now working on an energy management system there's a huge amount of research going into this and we actually think that we by later this year we will be in a position to get peak power down to much less than one megawatt probably to as low as six or seven hundred and and therefore be completely sustainable through a solar power approach that is Probably 80% of the company's focus at the moment is on creating a fully independent, off-the-grid, sustainable surf park of the scale of our largest wave garden cove that can be delivered uh, through solar power. And That is really exciting because obviously yeah. that's what a lot of people's major concern is sustainability and environmental issues. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and as soon as we just start giving these examples to people, we say, listen, we use one third of the power of a single chairlift or in terms of water consumption on an annual basis is actually equivalent to about the size of a, a, an Olympic swimming pool. When you when you say things like that, people go, oh, OK, I'm I'm not quite sure what our concerns are. Let's move on to other issues. Um, but yeah. I, I think it's just at the moment, the message, there isn't a clear message on actual consumption and, and power and, and things like that coming out in the sector. And I think more needs to be done uh, by everyone to try and demonstrate that surf parks are, can be sustainable and there are ways to deliver and create fantastic waves in a sustainable way. Mm. Wow. Okay, that's exciting stuff. But let's let's talk about some of these projects in, in detail and, and the ones that are coming up. They're really exciting ones because we've seen some beautiful images coming across our desks at Waypool Mag. And um, we'd love to know if you could sort of add a little light and, and, and throw, tell us some stories about some of those projects that are going on. Well, obviously, Swiss, Switzerland's coming up, but yeah, yeah pick any project and, and tell us a story. That'd be great. Sure. Well, um, Switzerland, yeah, let's talk about Switzerland because you won't, you won't have seen it yet, but thankfully internally we're seeing all the videos. They're surfing at the moment in Switzerland. So our team, our surf operations team are out there creating uh, the playlist of the Wave menu and the Wave DJ is, is programming all of the different playlists in for beginner sessions, improver sessions, intermediate sessions, advanced expert sessions, and about 26 different types of waves and, and different playlists and, and so on. So that's happening and we're seeing it. But what's really fun is to see the guys are surfing. In the background, there's these incredible mountains with snow all over it. They're surfing, obviously, in in, in full wetsuits and gloves and hoodies and, and, and booties and stuff. They're surfing for an hour, an hour and a half, and then they're jumping straight into a hot tub. That's right next to the right next oh, to the, the shore, and it is yeah. So we're getting pictures of our, you know, these guys are working really hard. We know they are, but we're getting lots of pictures of them sitting in the hot tub after being uh, after being surfing and testing the waves and so on. It's a it's a hard job, but somebody has to do it. So we're really yeah. <laughs> we're really excited to see how that will perform as a ski resort or a, a resort alaya that's selling skate ski and surf because the group behind our project there have also built and are currently operating an incredible indoor skate and outdoor skate facility and they're building an alaya lodge and it's right next to you know 15 plus ski resorts and then they're going to have the surf park to add to this portfolio of a des- you know a destination experience if you know you can ski skate and surf all in in one day or over one weekend so it'll be really fun to see how that uh, goes because you um, those kind of um, ancillary activities, are you offering um, services around that as well, like you know, slides and water pools and things like that? Yeah, so what, um, you know, what people, again, I guess people may not be aware, but we have a, and this is part, part within my team, we've built up over the past three or four years a full, a full service team that provides all of the advice uh, and support that are, is required to take your project from, hey, I've come to WaveGarden, we're, we're interested in doing a surf park right through to the construction phase and then ongoing and helping with uh, operations and maintenance and so on. But in this early phase, now we have a team of four full-time architects and one part-time. We have five on the civils engineering side. Uh, we have a full team on the fluid dynamics. We have a full team on the commercial and the business planning side. So 
I think you know maybe this is another thing that's relatively unique about us with with more than 60 staff that are 100% focused on nothing but wave garden surf parks we now have decided that it is our responsibility to help with the actual design of the lagoon itself the engine detailed engineering of the lagoon the detailed construction solution and construction drawings of for the lagoon uh, estimating the capital costs using, we've brought in a couple of different partners, engineering partners, international cost consultant partners. So we go through a process where our partners can be reassured that when it comes to the surfing side of their development, WaveGarden will do that and all of the detail that, of that right through to with their partners overseeing and controlling the construction and the costs and, of that whole thing. And then at the early part of the process, we do the master planning for the entire surf park. And that may include a considerable amount of accommodation. It'll have a number of land-based leisure uh, activities that we, that we help with the design and, and look at the business planning and the costs of introducing those, the food and beverage, the retail, et cetera. So we're now basically helping our partners because it's not, you know, it's not easy. It is a challenging process. We're helping them through that to develop the best possible guest experience, not just for the people that are coming to surf, but for the families and friends that are coming to enjoy a day out in this beautiful urban beach sort of setting. And there are various activities for them to do in addition to the surfing itself. Okay. And, and as far as your relationship goes with the operator or the desired developer, would WaveGarden ever consider investing the, you know, your own time, tech or money into a project that you're really passionate about as, a, as an actual vested partner of that project? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the straight answer is yes. And in fact, we're already, we're already involved in that in a few projects that are closer to home in that, you know, are a bit easier for us, you know, in Spain and Southern Europe type of area. But also we do have a few partners that we, that are very much from the first day just bought into the whole WaveGarden vision for the the sort of best possible surf and guest experience that can be delivered and really wanted us they wanted us to lead to do the master planning they wanted us to help with the design of the surf academy uh, the hub building the practice areas er everything and they really wanted you know more rather than less involvement on the entire sort of project as such so yes we are looking at uh, potentially getting involved in projects ourselves or indeed maybe being stronger in terms of all of the operational setup support that we're providing we now have four or three three full-time staff on the operations side possibly another uh, coming and these are people who are writing all of the operational guidelines the, the lifeguard guidelines the, the guidelines for how you set up the surf academy how you run a surf class and they're going on site for you know two months before opening to set up and train all of the surf operations and then staying on site for a couple of months afterwards so um yulin and, and kuro two of the guys were in were out in korea for several months and they're now in switzerland and we won't be seeing them again for another two or three months and then they'll be off to brazil for opening there in the summer so i think that is that is helping us uh, get more involved and opportunities are coming to us saying well you know we really want WaveGarden to be more and more involved in this and of course help us with the early setup but we want you in more involved on an ongoing basis what sort of relationship can we develop and we're open to having uh, various uh, discussions around that mm -hmm. excellent okay should we get back to the, those projects because you mentioned something in Italy and I haven't heard of any projects in Italy is that yeah. something you could talk so, about yeah what yeah, I mean, you've, you've, you see what's on our website, but to be honest, that's not all. So as an as a overarching update, um, Nick, we can say that we've got obviously our four projects in operation, two that are opening this year, Alai and, and Facenda, three that have already started construction, and then another 36 that have signed contracts and we're in the feasibility and design phase. Since speaking to you, I suppose what might be of interest is, you know, we signed an eight project deal with one group 
for eight projects across Australia, Southeast Asia, which is really interesting. We've signed our first project in Japan, which is, um, I can't tell you exactly where it is and so on, but that's really exciting. Two more projects in the UK. We now have three projects in Germany. We're doing an indoor, our first full-size indoor cove project in Russia, and we've signed up a project in Thailand and Italy. So that's all happened sort of in the last sort of 12 months or so. And we're at various stages with those in terms of um, early design, feasibility, etc. Um, but the ones that you're likely to see after after Lion Facenda might be Coachella in California, Myrtle Beach, uh, Edinburgh, Garopaba. Those are the ones that are further in either early construction or about to start construction phase quite soon. And then after that, it's, it's hard to tell. You know, things change. The permitting process takes longer with some and shorter with others. So it'll be interesting to see how that how things evolve in the coming uh, 12 months. Have you found that projects get go faster in certain areas of the world, obviously due to the, you know, as you said, permitting and bureaucratic processes in each country? Yes, um, absolutely. So Korea happened very, very fast, um, whereas... Um, uh, you know, pr projects in other parts of the world where the permitting process is slower can take quite a bit. I guess what's nice is that we had a project in the UK, which traditionally the UK, you would think is going to be a two, two and a half, three year process. And I guess Bristol is evidence of that, that it did take a, quite a long time. But the fact that Bristol has happened then opens the door and makes it a bit easier for other projects. So on our project in Birmingham, with Steve, we went from the first meeting with Steve with us through to them actually having, we've gone through all of the design, the engineering, all of that, and having his project approval in about a 14, 15 month period. So within the UK, that's really, really good. And what we're seeing now is that because we've got this process in place, we can move quicker through, help people with all of the design plans and advice that they need, and, and things are speeding up. And, and that's what the sector needs. We need to be delivering more of these projects so that uh, the general investment market is more confident that this really is the start of a major new uh, sector, a major new group of types of attractions in the same way ski resorts started however many years ago this is now the surf park age and we are going to be seeing 30 40 50 60 70 of these uh facilities in the next you know five five years or more yeah absolutely and and talking about the uk those are the three that you mentioned obviously edinburgh bristol and and um and birmingham mm. what about ireland yeah <laughs> yeah there's nothing happening in ireland i mean that's isn't it aren't you irish sean Yes, I am Irish and I would love to see one in Ireland. And, uh, you know, we had a call about three weeks ago uh, about a possible project there. But to be honest, we don't we don't announce or talk about any project until it's quite real and that there's, you know, there's a contract signed with us. The, these people are committing time and resources and uh, to take a project forward. But yeah, there, there are a couple of things in Ireland, but nothing that I could immediately say, yes, that's going to that's looking good. We've got a good you know, piece of land in the right location. The size of the market in Ireland, you know, really probably one large scale surf park will be, you know, will, will be it and it needs to be in the right location. You may well have, what's interesting we're finding, Nick, is that we are, there's opportunities, even if you have a public surf park in one location, there may well be a business opportunity for what you would call a private or membership only surf park in a similar in a similar location because you're not necessarily competing for the general public you're only competing for a relatively small number of either you know residents that live in that resort community or uh, private memberships of people that join this club as a private membership so our project you were asking about interesting stories about um, some of our projects our one in facenda in brazil which is going to open uh, in the summer of this year that's extraordinary in terms of a business model because that is a the second phase of development of an existing residential community and resort. And there had been there is there's uh, there had been about seven sales of of residential plots for people to you know build their homes in this community in the previous twelve months before they announced the Wave Garden. When they announced the Wave Garden Surf and Beach Club was going to be developed, they sold 83 plots 
within two months. So basically, they went from having sold seven residential plots in the previous 12 months to all of their first phase of development, 83 plots, within two months of announcing. And the guy, the developer, says that his, he's reporting his project IRR is at 85%. So they'd, wow. they'd, already, they'd already covered the costs of building the wave garden within the first two months of going to market with their project. Now, that's a very different style of business model. It is very, meant, very much residential-led, but it just shows the value that this type of unique facility can potentially bring to real estate projects, wider mixed-use developments, and so on. Do you think that's only true for SurfMad Brazil, or do you think it's uh, true for around, all around the world? Well, I suppose um, there are a lot of projects we're looking at where there's a golf course and you know the, there's an existing resort, and this is a, a new leisure amenity that can be brought into that uh, community to help sell the, uh, sell the residential. And yes, Brazil is definitely surf mad, but no, we have similar types of uh, projects in the United States and in Asia. Uh, not as many in Europe, I think. There's a, you know, land isn't as easy to get, but there are certainly opportunities um, for that type of development. And, and uh, yeah, I think in the same way that golf is known to add value to real estate, water is definitely known to add value to real estate. And if that water... It's not just, you know, standing there looking very nice, but it's actually active and there's some activity on it and some, some spectacle in the water and people watching surfing is, is, you know, a fun spectacle. Then that will add value to these. So we will see more of these schemes where the surf facility is the central feature of a wider either residential community or some sort of mixed use development like Virginia, our project in Virginia Beach is surrounded by, you know, food and beverage restaurants and bars and hotel and some apartments and it's, you know, city center type location. Yeah, I need to to speak to Pharrell Williams. Can you set that up for me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you and me both. My daughter will go through the roof. She'd love it. <laughs> yeah, no, he, yeah, he, he, is, he is the sort of sponsor behind that, but we're not obviously not having to deal with Pharrell on a day-to-day basis. Uh, we're dealing with Mike there, who's a great guy and and thankfully, that project is looking very promising, and we're at, we've just delivered the final sort of technical design and engineering reports for the construction solution for his lagoon, and we're now at the final stages of of the sort of the city permitting and fundraising process. So that would be one would be great to get started if possible this year on in terms of construction. I mean, these projects are so massive and so complex, and obviously a lot of stuff must go wrong during the process. But when it's all done and dusted, and and you you know like at the opening ceremony or something you must feel incredibly proud uh, yes although although I get, yeah. yeah yeah although i get to go to the uh, although i get to go to the projects when they're in uh when they're in development i don't get to go to all of them when they open but no i mean when i was in bristol obviously uh, you know my history with bristol goes back a long way well you know long before my period of joining uh, wave garden i was there i was their advisor in terms of helping them with their business plan and, and so on in the early phase and known nick for such a long time and then craig so you know going to wave garden walking through the doors and actually getting to surf a left for me because i'm goofy was just uh, fantastic join the club <laughs> yes because uh, our demo facility is only a right because of our site yeah i noticed now. that <laughs> so yeah <laughs> so to get to surf a left in in uh in bristol was fantastic and to see the smiles on everyone's faces and i started to speak to the people that were coming and uh, there was one guy there who had flown from slovenia and he was there for the whole week and he was having three hours of surfing a day for five days because he was just determined he wanted to learn to surf and i met a couple of celebrities that had come down and going to see the place and you know it's just great to see the energy uh, that everybody had there and absolutely loving it. And Nick had such a, a long journey to get that project up and running. So that was really, really nice to see. Oh, it must have been phenomenal. And, and inside the Wave Garden HQ itself, because obviously not everybody gets to go out into all the locations and sites. Is there a, a sort of a tradition now when, when, when a pool launches? Uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, not so much in terms of we get we all get to see the videos. The a lot of the team are on the ground at the time when it's happened. 
you know, there's a little mini celebration uh, here, but there's no formal tradition as yet. Maybe you've given me a good idea. Maybe we need to yeah, you've got to start one. one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ring a bell. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, um, Sean. Last question, because I, I, I'm aware of your time. If some surfer and obviously surfers around the world are all really passionate people and they really want to build a wave pool. Where do you suggest they start? Because obviously you get a lot of people calling you up and saying, come on, you know, I want to make a wave pool and they've got absolutely no resources and whatever. So where do you think they should start um, to, to go about doing this? Yeah, I mean, I say the same thing to everybody that we have our first phone call with. I say, you know, in our view, there are sort of three, three challenges when you're starting off a project like this. First one is, do you have the right group of people and individuals with the right experience on your side? I mean, Wave Garden can provide you with a huge amount of help and support and experience uh, to take you through this development journey. But on your side, it will be helpful if someone in your team is has some background in the permitting process or urban planning or development, maybe somebody else who's got a background in investment or somebody else that has a background in operations and so on. That will be that will be helpful. Have the right team of people who are committed and realize that this journey is not going to be six months. It could be two years before you can even start construction or 18 months before you can start construction and then another year and a half of construction and so on. So this is a long journey you're about to set on. So do you have the right people and are you committed? The second thing then is is the one of you know, finding a suitable piece of land. And I think, you know, that's something that you're seeing yourself. Uh, finding the yeah. right piece of land can be challenging. Um, you don't necessarily need to have the land deal signed up before you engage and, and, and Wave Garden starts to help you because there are a number of projects that we've already signed where we're actually helping them in the site assessment process and helping them locate a suitable piece of land and have those initial discussions with landowners and with the municipalities and, and so on. But having the right piece of land uh, that, you know, the zoning of that land, you know, is it zoned for leisure or for sport and if so, or hospitality? And if so, it can move a lot quicker. Or if it's zoned for agricultural and you might have to spend a year getting it changed from agricultural use to, to, to leisure use or, or whatever, that can be a big thing. So Having the right piece of land and finding one uh, is important. And then finally, the third thing, what we say to everyone is that, okay, you have the team, you have some idea about land, but now what about the seed funding and the time that it's going to be required? And and often getting the seed funding can be as difficult or not, or even more difficult than raising the 20 million or the 30 million or whatever need to build your entire surf park. But the seed funding, maybe you're going to need around about half a million euros to get you from where you are now to where you've got the permits in place. You've got your business plan, you've got your design, you've got your feasibility study, you've got your cost estimates, et cetera, et cetera. And then you're a serious player that can go out and potentially raise the millions that you need to build your surf park. Because without your design, without your initial project approval, without your feasibility study, without your business plan, it's very difficult to go and say, well, I'm going to go and raise 30 million or 20 million, 20 to 30 million for a surf park. So those three things, the right team, a good piece of land and, and the seed funding. But please, you know, come and talk to us as early as possible and we'll give you as much advice as we can to help you through that process. And, and the timing of when you formally engage with us or not can be discussed and, and we can decide when's the best time for us to get involved and start working with you on that design and feasibility process. Brilliant, Sean. I think that'll be very helpful for everybody out there who's keen to to get one of these off the ground. But yeah, a massive project and a massive undertaking. And uh, it's incredible to see what you guys are doing on a daily basis. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure, Nick. It was great to speak to you again. And, and finger crossed, we'll see you back here at our demo facility sometime this year. Yeah, looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, Nick. For your curiosity and stoke.